All right, let's pray together. Uh, God, we uh, thank you that you are here. And we thank you, God, that uh, you are a forgiving God, uh, you are a powerful God, uh, that you are our strength and you are our shield. And we uh, pray by your Holy Spirit that you continue to uh, minister to our hearts. Uh, God, you know uh, everything that's going on in our minds, in, in our hearts, and in our lives, and, uh, and God, you care for us. Uh, so God, we, we cast our cares upon you. Uh, we know you are able, and we know you are strong enough. Uh, God, we, we are just thankful that you are in our lives, and we thank you, God, for uh, what you're going to do in the rest of this time. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, we've been doing a little series called uh, New True You, and uh, we've been talking about uh, being in Christ and what it's like to be uh, followers of Jesus, that in Jesus we actually have a new true us. Uh, the Bible talks about how the old is gone and the new has come, and uh, we find that in uh, 1 Corinthians 5, or 2 Corinthians 5. It says, if anyone is in Christ, that is, if you've asked Jesus into your life, if you've uh, uh, just, you know, Jesus, uh, forgive me my sin, I want to follow you, I invite you into my life, and, and you just follow him, you're, you're in Christ. It says, the new creation has come, the old has gone, the new is here, that uh, when we invite Jesus into our life and we follow him, there's a part of our old life that dies. The uh, Bible says we've been crucified with him. And he gives us a new life. Uh, we are forgiven. We are filled with his righteousness. We have his presence. We're seated at the right hand of God. We have all this honor and all this glory that he has, has given us. And he lives in us. Uh, again, the most common way that a Christian is described in the Bible is someone who is in Jesus. That he it lives in us by uh, the power of the Holy Spirit. And, and to really let that truth settle in, the more you can let that truth settle in, the more it changes your world. Because you realize wherever you are, Jesus is. Uh, you realize that no matter what problem or struggle you're facing, that you're in Christ and therefore your problem is in Christ and you're surrounded by Jesus and Jesus isn't looking at your issue, you know, like, like I, I, he's not saying, I don't know what to do with this. I mean, he knows, and he's powerful, and he's good, and he loves you, and you're in Christ wherever you are. You can't get away from that, and it changes your world when you, uh, when you realize that. And we've talked about putting off the old self and putting on the new self, as it talks about in Ephesians. It says, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self. And your old self will uh, try to come back at times. Uh, old ways of thinking, and we've talked about how we've been, our old self is crucified, <laughs> it is dead, that we don't uh, try to pastor our old self, we don't try to coddle our old self, we don't try to comfort our old self, we put it away, it is dead. We don't allow any thought in our mind that is from the old self. We take every thought captive, make it obedient to Jesus, and we choose to live out of the new self. And the way we do that, as we talked about last week, which is a real important message, it should be online, is to be made new in the attitude of our mind. This has everything to do with our thinking. That our old self is dead, we put on the new self, and we do that by changing our thinking and by putting on the new self. And we looked the last couple of weeks at this little acronym, APPLE. So hope, hopefully all of you have been doing the APPLE. And that is simply in every situation, 
you got to be constantly asking yourself this question. What self is this thinking coming from? Old self or new self? And so you're talking to someone and it's getting a little heated or you have a little disagreement. Immediately ask, what thinking is my thinking coming from? Is it coming from my old self or the new self? It's coming from the old self. Again, you push away your old crucified self. You don't try to comfort it. You don't try to, you know, make it feel better. You just put it away and you live the new true you. I mean, you're having a stressful day at work and your anxiety starts to build up. Ask yourself, is that thinking coming from the old self or the new self? It's probably coming from the old self when you're in control and Christ isn't with you. But the new self understands you're in Christ and your situation is in Christ. And Jesus loves you more than you could ever know. And you just choose to think out of your new self. And so every situation we need to be constantly just putting away the old self, putting on the new self, watching our thinking. I mean, you cannot afford to have any thought in your mind that God isn't thinking. Uh, you just can't afford it because it always causes death and destruction in your life. And so it's really important to watch over our thinking. And we've talked about how uh, the starting place of all our thinking needs to come from the new self. It needs to come from the reality that we are in Christ. All of our thinking must start, not from our old self, but start from the new self. And today I want to bridge that to uh, talk more about thinking, but not our starting place, but, but, our, but our ending place. Every good story or every good movie always has a, a good beginning, but it also has usually, at least the ones I like, the happy endings, has a good ending, <laughs> right? I don't like sad endings. But for those of us in Jesus... Uh, we're constantly creating movies in our mind. We're, we're constantly creating stories in our mind. And because we're in Christ, not only does the starting of our thinking need to be in Christ, but the ending of our thinking must always end on a glorious note. And a lot of times we end our thinking kind of on a sad note. Or, uh, you know, this isn't going to work out and everything's bad and everything's horrible. If you're in Jesus, your story always, 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 always will end on a glorious note. And that's what we're going to talk about today. But the reality is, I mean, there is this reality that this world isn't easy. Uh, we are living, the Bible says, in a war zone. Whether you like it or not, this world is hard. There are evil spirits that are trying to cause destruction in our life. We have our own sin, which messes up our world and messes up relationship. We have other people's sin that hurts us, and we have evil in this world, and, and the reality is we're living in a war zone. Uh, we can pretend we're living in like a Disneyland culture, but, uh, but we're not. This world is hard. Now, I don't wish that on you. I would hope that your life is comfortable. I would hope that your life uh, never has to experience death, or you never have to hear bad news from the doctor. My, my hope and prayer for, for you would be uh, what John prayed for, for people, that I pray that you may enjoy good health and that all may go well with you, even as your soul is getting along well. I mean, I pray that for you. But we know that doesn't always happen. Uh, we know that life can be hard, that the work can be hard, that there is depression, that there is cancer, that there, that there is death. And if you live long enough in community, if you're not going through struggle, then you're going to see other people going through struggle. I mean, uh, Jesus told us that in this world we will have trouble. Uh, Jesus told us, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted him, they're going to persecute us. And, and this was the story of, of the early church. 
Uh, they experienced trouble. They experienced this war zone. As in Acts chapter 8, it said, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem. And all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen. He was killed for his faith and mourned deeply for him. But Saul began to destroy the church, going from house to house. He dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. And this kind of thing is still going on in the world today uh, for Christians. A lot of Christians live in, in places where they, they risk their life just to, to come to church. Uh, and we have, we have such comforts here. Uh, but this world is full of trouble. I, we all know that. Uh, everybody here, if you really get to know uh, each other, has their story of suffering. Uh, some are more deep than others, but uh, this world is, is, is a war zone. But if you ever notice that you are reading through the Bible, <laughs> you read about persecution and hardship, uh, we look at our world like this week in Florida, we're living in a war zone, uh, things, things, things are hard, and then you come across like verses like this in the midst of this, <laughs> that says, always be joyful, uh, keep on praying, no matter what happens, always be thankful. For this is God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus. And in the midst of suffering, you're like, you're like what? Uh, what do you mean? Our Philippians 4, always be full of joy in the Lord. I will say it again, rejoice. It's like in the midst of this war zone, th there's to be this joy in, in our hearts. Now, always be joyful. Uh, I say it again, say it again, rejoice. I mean, Jesus said, I have told you this. So that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. Uh, that God's will for us is that we would have this, this complete joy. But again, Jesus isn't saying this in some sort of la-la land, Disneyland culture. Because right after he says that his will for us is to have complete joy, he says this. That the world's going to hate us, maybe. Uh, that this is why the world hates you. They will persecute you. But he says, even in the midst of all this trouble... There should be this joy that is just, that is just overwhelming uh, your inside. Now this doesn't mean uh, that this kind of joy that Jesus is talking about, that it, it doesn't ignore pain and trouble. We see Jesus wept over the death, death of Lazarus. He, he wept over Jerusalem. Uh, we're commanded to mourn with those who mourn. Uh, this isn't a joy that, that ignores uh, pain and, and struggle and just kind of pretends that everything's great when everything's not. I mean... This is part of Christianity where you learn to mourn with those who mourn and rejoice with those who are rejoicing. And sometimes that's going on in our own life. That we have this joy that the Bible talks about that surpasses understanding. That this joy is a joy that's not based in our circumstances. Because our circumstances aren't always going to turn out the way we want. But this is a joy that we are to live with even in this, this war zone. And again, this is not just... Lala thinking. This is stuff that real Christians live out. In the midst of struggle and, and pain, that they would say they have this, this, this undeniable joy. I mean, look at some of these verses. 2 Corinthians. We are hard-pressed on every side. Maybe that's you today. You just feel hard-pressed on every side. But notice what Paul says, but I'm not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. Or Hebrews 10, uh, you suffered, talking about some of these early Christians, along with those in prison. And then it says this, and they joyfully accepted the confiscation of their property. 
I mean, imagine if someone came today and took your house away because you followed Jesus. I mean, that's what was happening. They joyfully allowed that to happen. And the question is, how is that possible? In this war zone kind of world that we have, uh, how is it possible to have joy like the Bible talks about? And uh, what we're going to talk about today is it, it has to, per- first of all, do with the presence of Jesus, but it also has to do with where we end our stories. Again, Jesus said, in this world we'll have trouble, but notice what surrounds even what Jesus said. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you have trouble, but you should still have peace. But take heart, I have overcome the world. Again, when you realize that you're in Jesus, that means your situation is in Jesus. And even when trouble comes, you know that you are surrounded by Jesus. Jesus himself went through trouble, but experienced joy. Notice this verse in Hebrews 12. Let us run with perseverance, the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. When Jesus went to the cross, and the cross was designed for maximal pain and maximal shame. I mean, uh, they would strip you naked and nail you to a cross in front of everybody. Uh, it, was, it was very painful and very shameful, and you would die this excruciating death. I mean, you talk about trouble. But it says, for the joy set before him, he endured it. What joy? You see, Jesus did not end his story on the cross. He wasn't like, this is the end, everything's horrible, I'm dying on the cross, this life sucks. And a lot of times we end our stories that way. We focus in on our trouble and our pain, and we think life sucks and it's horrible, and we have no joy because we end our story in the wrong spot. Jesus did not end his story with the trouble on the cross. It was the joy set before him. What joy? He knew he was about to bring freedom to billions of people. To bring them into glory. To be in Christ. He knew about the future of the new heavens. And the new, he ended his story in the right spot. And one of the ways that we have joy in our pain is to make sure we end our stories in the right spot. That we always, always, always end our story on a glorious moment because that's the truth. Uh, We see this uh, in Hebrews 10. Again, these are the guys who joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property. Now look at what it says. You endured in great conflict full of suffering. Not just a little bit, but full of suffering. Sometimes you were publicly exposed to insult and persecution. At other times you stood side by side with those who were so treated. You suffered along with those in prison and joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property. How could they do that? It tells us right here how they do this. Because, because you knew that you yourselves had a better and lasting possession. Talking about heaven. Talking about the glorious future. They could have joyfully allowed this confiscation because they knew that wasn't the end of the story. They knew the end of the story is them in glory for all eternity. And this is where we need to make sure that we always end our story. That we don't end our story in this life, that we always carry our story on to where we are going to spend the vast majority of our time, and that is in heaven. This is what the Bible tells us. For this world is not our permanent home. 
we're looking forward to a home yet to come. I mean, you got to view this world like a camping trip. Uh, when you're camping, and let's say it's bad because it just rains the whole long weekend, right? And everything's wet and, and kids are miserable. It's just, it's just a horrible time. You don't think like, this is the end of my world. It's the end of my life. You're like, tomorrow we're going home and things are going to be better. I mean, uh, this, is, this is exactly the way we are to picture this world. Uh, th- this is just a camping trip. And, and sometimes it rains and sometimes it's sunny and glorious. But, but we always end our story at our true home. As Colossians 3.2 says, set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. And this includes future. And so I just want to spend the rest of our time talking about the real end of our story. Uh, the real end of our story is, is heaven. And it's really important for us to get a good grasp of what heaven is going to be like. Because if you think it's going to be boring or not a lot of fun, then it's pretty hard to have joy and to end your story there if you don't think it's, it's going to be amazing. Uh, it's kind of like going on a, on, a, on a trip. Probably most of you have been on some sort of trip or even if you just go to Kelowna or something like that. I don't know about you, but I'm like a TripAdvisor person. And I always go check it out, like all the reviews, and because I want to get myself excited. Or if you're going to see an attraction, you go, you read about it, and, and when, you, when you read about it, and there's lots of good reviews, you get excited. And you just can't wait to go, right? Lots of bad reviews, and you're like, I'm not too excited. But a lot of good reviews, you're like, I'm excited. Well, this book is kind of like our trip advisor, if you will. It tells us about what's coming. <laughs> it tells us about our future, and I tell you, it is looking glorious. Whatever you're going through today, your future is looking so amazingly glorious. The reality is, whatever you're going through, this, this is as hard as life gets, is, is this camping trip. It gets glorious in the future. Now, there are a lot of misconceptions about heaven, tons. And uh, <laughs> this is why a lot of people aren't excited about heaven. This is why a lot of people can't joyfully accept the trouble of the world, because they think about the future, they're like, I'm not all excited because a lot of our images of heaven are just kind of like fluffy clouds. Uh, and and we, we, we think like this cartoon is going to be like this, you know, sitting on a cloud. Uh, you know, this guy saying, if you can't see it, wish, I wish I brought a magazine. Like, it's, it's kind of boring. Uh, maybe eating cream cheese, like the old, old Philadelphia, if you're, if you're old enough, you remember the angel sitting up there, it's like, like, it's like, like that seems so incredibly boring, why would I ever be excited about that? So I better make this life count, because this is life when it's going to be fun, because heaven is not going to be all that exciting, and so we just, we put all our eggs into this world, and we get so stressed out to make everything perfect, because after all, the, for eternity, we're going to sit on a cloud, or, or maybe your, your picture of heaven is Sort of like an endless church service, right? And you're like, we're going to be uh, <laughs> in, and it's going to be part of it. But, but sometimes people just think about, we're going to be sitting in front of the throne, and we're going to be there like singing forever, like for years upon years and an en- endless singing. And you're like, okay, I, I like church, but like not that much, you know? Uh, and, and you just like, again... These kind of images, which maybe are partly true, but not fully true. And so, uh, you know, some people like this, you know, you know, heaven or, you know, all the fun people. I want to, it's not going to be in heaven because it's going to be boring and it's endless, whatever. These are all like just misconceptions. 
Uh, because people aren't reading the, 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 the true trip advisor of what it says actually heaven is going to be like. And so let's just take a moment to, to look at this. Uh, the Bible says that heaven is actually the new heavens and the new earth. And so if you die now, you go to heaven, if you will. But it, really the heaven now is kind of like an intermediate state between now and when God creates a new heaven and a new earth. And the Bible says that our home for all eternity is actually going to be on the new earth. Not in some fluffy cloud, but the new earth. Uh, Revelation 21 says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And so the current heaven and the current earth are going to be no more. There's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. Second Peter explains this. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. This is the return of Christ. The heavens will disappear with a roar, and the elements will be destroyed by fire. The earth and everything in it will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. Which is really weird when you think about it. Like, that we can speed the coming of the Lord? <laughs> That's what it says. Uh, the day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire, and the elements will melt in the heat. But in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth, the home of the righteous. And this is what it talks about in Revelation at the end, that the, 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 the new Jerusalem comes down to the new earth, and this is the home of the righteous, that we will be spending eternity on a new earth. And we'll probably have access to the new heavens and the galaxy, and, and who knows, it doesn't answer all those questions. But, but don't think fluffy clouds, you must think earth. In fact, the picture, uh, uh, I'll read these verses first. This is what makes sense of these verses. Like Jesus said, uh, blessed are the meek for they will inherit the earth. Because we'll be living on the new earth. Uh, Romans 8 says, the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation, talking about this, this world, this earth, this universe, was subject to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. In other words, one day this world will be renewed. It's in bondage and there are earthquakes and destruction and, and horrible things that happen in this, in this world, but it will one be, day be liberated and it will be set free as it truly it was meant to be. And the picture Revelation gives is actually a picture of a renewed Garden of Eden. So if you're going to think of something, at least, when you think about heaven, don't think about fluffy clouds. Think about the Garden of Eden. Because just as the Bible opens with, with the, this river, rivers and, and plants and vegetation and the tree of life, so too does the close of the Bible at the end of Revelation end with again the tree of life and the river of life, and, and, and vegetation. And, and really, the new earth is going to be a restoration of what God originally meant it to be. Uh, the Garden of Eden, a perfect world where everything is beautiful and everything is, is set right. Uh, Dr. Randy Alcorn, who is a scholar, probably the, the foremost scholar in terms of uh, heaven, uh, said this, The biblical doctrine of the new earth implies something startling. That if we want to know what the ultimate heaven, our eternal home, will be like, the best place to start is by looking around us. 
We shouldn't close our eyes and imagine the unimaginable. We should open our eyes because the present earth is as much a valid reference point for envisioning the new earth as our present bodies are a valid point for envisioning our new bodies. And so if you want to think about heaven, think, if you're a mountain person, think about glorious mountains in a mountain lake. Uh, Think about the most perfect scene where everything is beautiful and wonderful and as it's supposed to be. That is the image of the new earth. Uh, If you're a beach person, uh, picture the perfect sandy beach. Uh, right now, that would be nice, sitting on a sandy beach and <laughs> somewhere being warm. And, uh, but, but just picture that, because that, that is the new earth. Uh, it, it is is going to be the earth as it's meant to be without frustration and decay and the, and the effects of sin. And we'll be spending eternity in this, this beautiful, uh, perfect world uh, with all kinds of things to explore and enjoy. And this place will be all good, joy-filled, and safe. As Revelation 21 says, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. And all these things are gone forever. Just imagine like a day without any stress. <laughs> Just imagine a day without any trouble. Uh, imagine a month without hearing about, you know, a friend or a loved one who's passed away. Or just, just imagine no more crying or death or pain. Uh, I mean, we try to maybe get a little glimpse of that sometimes. If you get away on sort of the, the perfect vacation, you just enjoy maybe some hours. You're like, this is wonderful. I mean, picture that when you think of the new earth. But forever. Where everything is good and joy-filled and safe. Again, Revelation 21, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. Uh, and this doesn't mean there's no more beach or ocean. Uh, this very figurative language in Revelation, but the sea uh, to the Israelites was the most scary thing in the world. Uh, they, 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 they hated the sea because it was, you know, kind of dark and people died and there were mysterious and, and it would be kind of like us talking about, you know, there's no longer any, you know, dark monsters in the closet. I mean, it was kind of like monsters in the closet and, and there's, there's going to be no more of that. Nothing to be afraid of. Nothing to get stressed out about. In fact, Isaiah gives us a picture of the new earth. Uh, the wolf will live with the lamb, and the leopard will lie down with the goat, and the calf and the lion and the yearling together, and the little child will lead them. And so, uh, speaking about animals on the new earth, uh, but they're going to be safe. And so, if you're like a, a lion lover, you can actually get up close to one and, and not be afraid. And, and a lot of people ask, you know, my pet's going to be there. That doesn't say in the Bible, but maybe. Uh, there's going to be animals there, and so maybe Fluffy will be there for you. I don't know. Uh, but, uh, but we know it's going to be all good and, and joy-filled filled and safe. Uh, it'll also include us having new glorified bodies. Uh, that our bodies will be actually made as they're meant to be. Uh, they will be perfect in every single way. As uh, Joni Erickson Tata, who was put in a wheelchair after a diving accident, put it, Uh, She said, one day, no more bulging middles or balding tops, no varicose veins or crow's feet, Uh, no more cellulite or support hose, Uh, forget the thunder thighs and highway hips, just a quick leapfrog over the tombstone, and it's the body we've always dreamed of, fit and trim, smooth and and, and sleek. And there's truth to that. Uh, There's truth to that. And and so uh, uh, don't wrap your whole life up in trying to get the perfect body here, because uh, it's coming. It's coming. 
Uh, it's coming. Second uh, Corinthians 5. For we know that when this earthly tent is talking about this body, again, this body is kind of like a tent. It's not your permanent home. We know that when this earthly tent we live in is taken down, that is when we die and leave this earthly body, we will have a house in heaven. So your current body is like a tent, and the Bible says your new body is going to be like a house. There's a big difference. Uh, one is more amazing than the other. We will have a house, and that's why Jesus said, you know, I'm going to prepare a mansion. He's not talking about like a physical house, but he's talking about our glorified bodies. Uh, we have a, an eternal home made for us by God himself and not by human hands. We grow weary in our present bodies. Uh, and we long to put on our heavenly bodies like new clothing. For we will put on heavenly bodies. We will not be spirits without bodies, which is another misconception. That I'm just going to be some spirit floating around. Woo, you know, you know, what fun is that? No, you're going to have a physical body in a physical world. Uh, it'll be like your body, but just better in every way. Uh, for we will put on heavenly bodies. We will not be spirits without bodies. While we live in these earthly bodies, we groan and sigh. And we do that because we get tired and, and things break and don't work the way they're supposed to. But it's not uh, that we want to die and get rid of these bodies that clothe us. Rather, we want to put on new, our new bodies so that these dying bodies will be swallowed up by life. And so uh, you will have a, a perfect body in every way as God originally designed it to be, but even better. And it's going to be like Jesus' body. Uh, Jesus is our example. Philippians 3. He will, take our away, uh, he will take our weak mortal bodies and change them into glorious bodies like his own. That's like Jesus. We know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him. And so when Jesus uh, rose from the dead and he was kind of the first fruits of the glorified body, he, he looked very similar. Uh, you'll probably look similar. Um, and uh, he could still eat, and he was physical, yet at the same time, he could kind of appear and disappear. It's going to be kind of cool. We could scare each other. Uh, I don't know if you can do that, but uh, uh, we're going to have these new bodies. And so if your body is achy and, and, and just not turning out the way you want to, don't end your story there. That's not the end of your story. Uh, your end of your story when it comes to your physical body is that the vast majority of your life is going to be glorious and perfect. Now, some people ask, well, you know, what does that mean? What's it going to look like? What if, like, a baby dies or, uh, you know, an aborted baby? Is that just going to be like a little, you know, baby crawling around in heaven? We don't know the full answer to those things, but most people think that maybe God will create us into our optimal age. You know, 43. Uh, I, I don't know, whatever it is. <laughs> uh, whatever that optimal age is, we don't know. There's lots of questions we don't know. Uh, heaven will include music, eating, and drinking. Of Revelation 19, a picture says, blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. Again, Jesus in his resurrected body, which is going to be like ours, he ate. Uh, there, there's no doubt going to be amazing meals and amazing food. In fact, Isaiah speaks of this, uh, some amazing meals on the new earth. It says, on this mountain, the Lord Almighty will prepare a feast of rich food for all peoples. A banquet of aged wine. And it's going to be probably really good wine. Uh, the best of meats and the finest of wines. On this mountain, he will destroy the, the shroud that enfolds all people. The sheet that covers all nations. He will swallow up death forever. The sovereign Lord will wipe away the, uh, the tears from all faces. He will remove his people's disgrace from all the earth. The Lord has spoken. 
I mean, there will be music, there will be eating, uh, there will be uh, just enjoying people's company. Uh, it'll be, be, and, and it'll be glorious and perfect in every way. Uh, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I, I guess not. Uh, he- heaven will include learning and work and art and creativity. Again, a lot of times we th- think heaven's going to be boring because then we're going to be sitting there doing nothing. Or sitting there uh, singing to God for like a million years. And, and, uh, and, and it's just losing sight of what the Bible is really speaking about. God created us with a desire to work and to learn and to grow. And no doubt that is going to be a huge part of, of the new heavens and the new earth. Uh, Revelation 7 says they stand in front of God's throne and serve him day and night. And it's where that image of the endless church service comes from. Uh, uh, but again, Revelation is, uh, is an apocryphal language. It's very figurative. It's the idea that we're, we're always going to be in the presence of God. And we will be serving him. Uh, as we work and as we learn, as we enjoy each other's company, as we recreate, as we create art, as we build, as we create. A- again, one of the best images of the new earth is the Garden of Eden. Because that's how the Bible begins and that's how it ends. And we see even before sin, it says the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. Uh, there is something fulfilling about work. And there's something that, that, that we just love to do stuff. We love to create. We love to be, but, our, but, but it's all been frustrated, remember, by the fall. And so there are thorns and thistles in every job. There's no perfect job out there because everything's been uh, wrecked by the fall. But there is coming a time when we're going to enjoy work perfectly. And, and, and art will be beautiful and everything will be wonderful. I mean, uh, imagine just gardening without ever having weeds. Uh, uh, I mean, imagine, uh, again, just imagine the creativity. Just think about today. We have people who will spend their entire life, uh, like, specializing in just one little area of the medical world. <laughs> or they'll spend their entire life as a scientist just trying to figure out a solution to one little problem. Imagine what we could do with our, our perfect bodies. Imagine what we can learn for all eternity. That we'll be able to learn and keep learning. Uh, we're not just going to show up in heaven and know everything. Because only God knows everything. Uh, there will be ample learning in those areas that we are interested in. There will be a wonderful creations. I mean, uh, people who spend their entire life trying to invent something. Imagine if you could just take that and, and keep on developing that year after year after year after year. Uh, no doubt we will have uh, probably amazing cities. Uh, the Bible talks about the New Jerusalem. It's a new city, and if there's a new Jerusalem, uh, there'll probably be a new Los Angeles and a new Vancouver, and, 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 be, and because we will be perfect in our minds and, and, and our work will be perfect. I mean, again, get a, get a glimpse of the new earth that is bigger than a fluffy cloud because there will be learning and art and creativity and music and fellowship and, and, and on, on this, this earth. And so it's really, really important that you don't put all your eggs in this life. Uh, because it's just a camping trip. I mean, some people say, you know, I, I've, just, I've just blown, I wasted my life. You know, I could I had so much potential, but, you know, I just drank it away, or I should have been doing this, and, and their story ends in this life. Your story does not end in this life. Uh, your story ends in glory. If you didn't quite get to the career that you always hoped to here, you had lots of time to enter into that career and to become amazingly proficient at it, and to learn lots of different careers. 
I mean, if you just like, I never had time to do the art, and I've always wanted to be a musician, and I didn't have time to do that, you will have lots of time to get that. And so, again, don't end your story here. Some people get so depressed and so frustrated in life because they missed it, they didn't get to it, I should have done this, I didn't do this, and it's like this whole world is it. This whole world is not it. Where does your story end? It should not end here. In fact, I've used this illustration before, but we just take a chord, and let's say this little, there's a little atom somewhere on the tip of this, which represents this little nanosecond of this life. And a lot of people think that little nanosecond is, is, is like everything. And so I get so stressed out because I'm so worried about this little nanosecond. I got to have everything right. And it's like the reality is you have a lot of time. Because we're talking eternal life and it's beautiful and perfect and it just keeps going and going and going and going. And you can just go right to the end. So uh, don't live your life like this is it. Uh, don't fill your life with regret and, and depression and like, I just can't do it because, man, it's just a little, just a little speck, a nanosecond compared to all of history. And this is how the early Christians could joyfully accept the confiscation of their property. Because they're like, this is just a little nanosecond. Wow, my house is gone. I got lots of time to build a new house. I got a lot of time to build the best house on the most amazing mountain and the incredible lake uh, for the rest of eternity. Uh, I mean, again, uh, the Bible says, that, like, have a, a true worldview of your life. When you die, you just, you're just walking through a door into all of eternity. Uh, this world is, is, is not the end. Though there is something that we need to be, uh, that we can do here, we can't do in eternity. And, and that's share Jesus. Uh, and invite those who don't know Jesus into a kingdom life. That, that is one thing that we, we must be doing, which we can't do there. Of course, heaven will include perfect relationships. Uh, it talks here just about uh, every tribe and every nation. Uh, just imagine having perfect relationships. Because pretty much 90% of our pain <laughs> in this world is from broken relationships. Just imagine having a perfect relationship with your spouse. Uh, just imagine having a perfect relationship with other people. No misunderstandings. Uh, you could sit down and just have brilliant conversations. There'd be no shame. You won't have to hide who you are. You don't have to pretend you're someone else. Uh, you don't have to be ashamed to talk about certain things. I mean, just perfect relationship. That, that, that's, in, that's included. That's a wonderful thing. And of course, we can't forget this because it's the most important thing. It will include a perfect relationship with God. It says, now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. Again, you go back to the Garden of Eden, and, and Adam and Eve walked with God in the cool of the day. Uh, God will be with us in, in, in a more amazing, spectacular way. And, and this is one of the most glorious things about heaven. And even if we did have an eternal worship service, it would not be boring. Because God is infinite love and infinite grace and infinite good. I mean, you know what it's like when you sit down with somebody who just, they're, they're just so, you're, you're so fascinated by them. And you can listen to them for hours and hours and hours. I mean, that's just a human, a sinful human. Imagine a perfectly loving God who knows everything. I mean, you could just sit there for years. And, not, and finally, uh, heaven is just going to be uh, beyond anything we can imagine. I know this verse is talking about the gospel, but it applies it well to heaven. 1 Corinthians 2, 9, 
says, What no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, and what no human mind has conceived, the things uh, God has prepared for those who love him. And so you can just stop and imagine the most amazing place and the most amazing relationship with, uh, with other people, the most amazing relationship with God, and you could just let your imagination go as crazy as you wanted, and you know heaven's going to be far better than that. It's more than you can imagine. It's more glorious than you can imagine. Again, this Bible says, this world is not our permanent home. We are looking forward to a home yet to come. And Philippians says that we must live as citizens of heaven, which means uh, we don't put all the eggs in this world. Again, when it comes to the, whatever the tip, oh, here it is, <coughs> the tip of this cord, I mean, uh, it's why we can relax a little bit in life. It's why we don't have to be uh, so depressed and so anxious and so freaking out about life because this is not our permanent home. It's just a little speck compared to all that we have uh, coming ahead of, uh, ahead of us. So God, we uh, just thank you uh, for what you have prepared for us. And God, we thank you that you just give us a glimpse every day of what this new heaven and new earth is going to be like. God, I thank you that when we taste the delicious food that we maybe we're going to have for lunch or dinner that gives us a glimpse of the glorious food we're going to be eating. God, I, I thank you that when we go out in nature and we see a scene that is so magnificent, God, I thank you that gives us a taste of what the new earth is going to be like. God, I thank you that when we sit down with our spouse or with a friend and we just have a, a good conversation and it's just wonderful, uh, God, I thank you that gives us a glimpse of what is to come. God, I thank you for those moments in worship when we are so wrapped up in you and we are overwhelmed with your presence. God, I thank you that that gives us a glimpse of what is to come. And so, God, I pray for anyone in this room who has had trouble this week, that God who is weighed down by the cares of this world. God, I pray that you would teach all of us to never, ever end our story in this life. God, that we would be people who would set our minds on what is to come that we'd keep our eyes, God, on what you have for us in the future. I pray, God, you'd help us to really just enter in to the rest you have given us because we know that this is not our home, that our home is yet to come. And so we thank you, God, for your goodness. We thank you that you love us. In Jesus' name, amen.